Hey everyone, it's so good to have you with us on this podcast. Now, I bet that when you looked at the title of today's episode, you pondered what exactly we'd be talking about. Well, you and me both, actually. You see, sessions on leadership, wisdom, vision, purpose, courage, inspiration do tend to sell themselves. But grounding? Hmm, maybe not so much. Well, never mind. I promise you that by the end of the next 40 minutes or so, you'll have gained such insight into how we can grow our grounding or gravitas. Here's Trevor with a little teaser of an example of what grounding is all about. So I, if you think of, and this is a very imperfect analogy, that you've got this bag, a holder or something, and into that holder goes your personality, your character, your skills, your ability to be really present with people when you're with them. So they know that you are connected and engaged uh, with them. A sense that someone has, has learned, has been thinking things through in their lives. All of these qualities, what they do is that they're not, they're not explicit. You're not shouting about any one of them, but it actually shapes the energy, if you like, with which you come into the room or into a relationship. And that's what we mean by gravitas. And all of this is in the bag. And if you imagine putting the bag on some scales, it's got some weight to it. So before we delve into the show, if you're new to the Becoming Mandela podcast series, firstly, welcome along. It's great to have you here. But can I just encourage you to catch up on the episodes you've missed? It will help so much in your understanding of the book and more to the point, how we can become the best version of ourselves. And hey, if you could leave us a rating or a review, we'd really appreciate it. Okay, it's time to get in touch with our gravitas. Well, do you know what? Here we are at chapter 15. It only feels like it was a couple of sessions ago that we were starting out on this Becoming Mandela book. And now we're all the way up to chapter 15. So thanks for sticking with it. And today's topic, we're talking about grounding. Now, I'm going to be honest, Trevor, I can relate to many of the characteristics we've talked about so far in the, in the podcast. Things like leadership and purpose and courage and wisdom and vision. But grounding or gravitas, as uh, as you've called it in the subtitle, is something that perhaps I yeah find more difficult to immediately get my head around what it is exactly that you're you're referring to. So let's just start right there by <laughs> saying, okay, so what do we mean by by developing this characteristic of being grounded or, or developing our gravitas? Yes, and the, the subtitle is like the elusive quality of gravitas. Because I think if you had a dinner party and you wanted to put a question to the table around dinner and said, what is gravitas? You would have the most interesting discussion because it is elusive. And part of me was thinking, because it's so hard to nail down this chapter, do, do I include it or not? But I, I felt it was so important that we should at least try and grapple with it. So... 
the whole thing about gravitas is you, is you know it when you see it and you know it when you don't see it and yet it's really hard to name. So can you imagine Nelson Mandela coming into your house and sitting down and probably not saying anything, but you not feeling the weight of his presence in the room? And that's what we mean by gravitas, because the word gravitas means weight. So it's kind of the weight of who you are. So let me try and unpick it, and it will be an imperfect unpicking because I, I don't think it's a subject where we can say, oh, that's it, we got it nailed. I think we've got to keep talking about it. But for me, the reason why it was important is in my consulting days, I would be given people to work with, to coach, and you say, well, you know, what's the issue? And you say, well, this person, they really should be going for a promotion, but we can't put them forward. And you say, well, what's the issue? And they say, well... I don't know, you know, because at one level they're doing really well and it's fine. You say, well, so what is it? And they go, I, I don't know, they just lack gravitas. And you say, well, what does that mean? And they'd struggle. So I'm thinking it's important because people are judged on this thing called gravitas and, and they're either off, they're promoted or dismissed um, on the basis of it. I think, you know, Mandela said, he said, there are some people on this planet that by the end of their life, you don't even know they were here. It's like they never existed. And there are other people you knew they were here. So let me try and unpick it. I think it's about your uniqueness of personality. Is you are utterly different than anyone else on the planet. And part of the gravitas is that that shines through. There is a life force, an energy. You know, the Greeks talked about your daemon, not demon, but daemon, D-A-E, daemon. And, and the, um, the Romans word for it was genius. And what they meant was you've got this unique dave-shaped life force that no one else on the planet's got. That's part of it, the weight of your personality. It's your experience, all the experience that you've had. Do you bring that into the room with you? That when you sit down, you think, this person's, they've got all this experience. They've got all this wisdom. I think your character, what your character is when you come into the room I talked in one of the early episodes about this guy that I met at this youth conference I was at. And, you know, he was seated, seated quietly in a room. He wasn't shouting. There was no grandstanding, but he had gravitas. You knew he was there. You had a sense of his presence, even without knowing what his backstory was, which I learned in terms of his time in Uganda. You sensed here is someone with a story. So I, if you think of, and this is a very imperfect analogy, that you've got this bag, a holdall or something, and into that holdall goes your personality, your character, your skills, your ability to be really present with people when you're with them. So they know that you are connected and engaged 
with them. A sense that someone has, has learned, has been thinking things through in their lives. All of these qualities, what they do is that they're not, they're not explicit. You're not shouting about any one of them, but it actually shapes the energy, if you like, with which you come into the room or into a relationship. And that's what we mean by gravitas. And all of this is in the bag. And if you imagine putting the bag on some scales, it's got some weight to it. Whereas other people, you kind of, they don't seem to think about much or know much. They don't seem to have done much work on themselves. You don't get the sense of their passion, their uniqueness, their life energy. There's something, something's not there. Really, I think, you know, having set up by saying it's a really difficult thing to define, I think you've just done a a great job at helping to define and understand uh, gravitas. That's that's excellent. So I'm guessing part of it is not just about how we communicate, you know, orally by the way the way that we speak. That that partly your gravitas is is by the way you conduct yourself around others. And I'm I'm sort of thinking that maybe actually, you know, if we were able to be observers in a room of people coming in, we we'd have a pretty good go at guessing those that carried a bit more gravitas than those that don't just by the way that they were behaving and moving around the room without actually being able to hear what they're mm. what they're saying so great okay I think I, I now understand more about gravitas than I did when we started this podcast so so let's come on to talk about then how do we develop or evolve to to improve the kind of the grounding that we have how do we how do we work on that and that's the 64 million dollar question isn't it <laughs> i have found really helpful something from uh, professor peter hawkins who um, wrote the forward for the book who i've known a number of years he had a model which i've found practically very helpful it's not a theoretical model it's a practical model so if you can imagine, and it's drawn out in the book, but let's draw it out in our minds right now, drawing a triangle. So you've got the base and then you've got a point. So on the left-hand base of the triangle, you've got the word authority. At the point, top point of the triangle, um, you write the word presence. And on the bottom right-hand side of the triangle, you write the word impact. So these three dimensions together... I think, are what generates gravitas. So let me try and work through each one and, and do feel free to just tease out more. So if we take the issue of authority, it links to when we talked about leadership. We said authority is about authorship. Yeah. So what's the story you've written with your life so far? And you say, well, everyone's got that, therefore everyone would have gravitas. Well, no. And yes. So yes, everyone's got a story, but not everybody owns their story. Because if you listen to them talking, they dismiss it. They don't have confidence about it. And when you dig into it and they tell you how terrible, let's say, it was for them when they were young and what they've overcome and what they had to work with and how they did overcome it, and you go, wow, that's an amazing story. And you are sitting there amazed by the weight of their of the story that they authored. And they go, oh, really? 
because they hadn't owned it. So there's something about owning our own stories. So having enough confidence and not arrogance, not self-promoting, but the confidence to say, yeah, that is what happened. That was the story. So humility is about honesty. It's not about pretending it didn't happen or you didn't have those experiences. So what is your story? So some of that will be your experience. What's the story of your background? How did you get to where you got to? How did it shape you? How is it shaping you now? Um, what's going on in your life now? What are the relationships that are important and surrounding you? What are your hopes, desires, ambitions? What really are you passionate about? What is going on in the world that fuels you or um, angers you or inspires you? Or What is the story that you're authoring right now that would come under that authority piece? And and I think in the book, in the book, you 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 talk about writing a real life CV. Yes, and I thought that's a uh, yeah. I, that, I captured that idea and thought that's really clever because actually we're all used to writing a CV about what we've done work wise and we put down our qualifications and and uh, what courses we've been on and what other jobs we've had and what we've done in those jobs. But but to actually write a real life. CV or all mm. the other things because work is just one part of it what about all the other things that we've done in our life what yes. about all the other things that we've done and experienced they tell such a powerful story and it may I, just as a as an aside but I, I think it's relevant here there's a fr- I've got a friend who who I play tennis with who yeah I just knew him through through playing tennis and he has his own business and has I would say gravitas in terms of when you talk to him and the way in the way that he behaves uh, in the way that he behaves but from getting to know him in more detail over time and playing more tennis and having more conversations, you know, he was homeless at 16. Wow. You know, he yeah. lived on the streets for a while because he had nowhere to go. He'd fallen out with, with step parents, etc. So he ended up on the streets for a while. And, and the way that he's experienced that and turned his life around is, is incredible and it's inspirational, but it, and it certainly adds, gravitas to who he is as a as a human being and so that that experience that kind of that idea of creating a a real life cv is is kind of helping to demonstrate to ourselves where we kind of hold authority isn't it yes i think that's right and it's it's a good example because it it sounds like he has valued his story so we talk about owning the story or valuing your story or you know, we've got this story, but do we inhabit it? Let, let me just give you a, a story. And uh, I still find it quite difficult to tell for some reason. But so I was working with a guy called Nick, who has become a very, very good friend over the years. But I, we didn't really know each other. And we'd had a brief meeting in the south of England. But then we had to go and do some work together with an investment bank in Milan, in Italy. And we went there and we did the work together. And uh, our Flights were delayed, so we were stuck in Milan Airport together quite late at night, and and then we flew back very late into London together, and so we got chatting, and we got to find out each other's story. So he was like, well, what did you do, and how did you get there? And So my own story was that my, my whole first chapter of my working world is I came from a very... 
unreligious, atheistic background, but had some quite profound spiritual experiences at the time, and I wanted to do something with that. And, um, and you know, I wanted to change the world, basically. That was, I really wanted to do something and change the world. And in those days, there were kind of two things you'd do. You'd either become a vicar, a pastor, a priest, whatever you want to call them, or a missionary. And, um, uh, and, and I chose the, the, the pastor vicar route and went and trained. And so my whole first career, as it were, was actually leading in churches and trying to find models of church for people who didn't want to go to church. So people who had come from backgrounds like mine, who came from non-religious backgrounds, but were asking big, big questions, you know, is there a God? What's the meaning of life? But didn't want to go to church to have to answer it. So that was my background. So I began to talk eventually about it, but it took, we were probably a couple of hours in. And um, he said, oh, he said, that makes so much sense. And he said to me, I always remember, we were just, we were on the approach into Heathrow Airport in the pitch dark. And he said to me, he said, why do you never tell people your story? Why don't you tell people this? And I said, because I don't want to be dismissed. And my fear was, if I owned my story, if I said, look, this is my background, is that people would go, oh, he's a bit woo-woo, he's a bit fluff, fluffy, you know, whatever, and, you know, all of people's perceptions about God or religion would be put on me. And I was like, no, that's not me. That's not my back. That's not where I come from. And I didn't want to be dismissed. And so I said that to him. And he said, do you know what happens? He said, because you're not honest about your history, he said, you actually create, I, I can't remember, whether he like, almost like you create attention in the conversation because people can sense something in you is missing. Brilliant. But they but they won't know what it is, and now that's where, that's a good that's where you need the elders in your lives. You need people that can speak into your life. That and there, so there's me thinking by withholding my experience and story, I was somehow being more impactful. And he said, "No, you're actually lessening your impact. You're lessening your gravitas because you're not owning the truth of your story. This is your story." And he said. My goodness, if you all the things you, you said you've you've had to deal with the most difficult, complex issues around change management, leadership, and, and he listed like a dozen different things. He said, than anyone I know. And I went, Oh, really? <laughs> and it, so it's all this I hadn't owned my own story, and it was having an impact on how I was showing up in relationships. So I think this is the authority part is um, all of that experience and skills. So the life experience is I've got a whole bunch of skills, but we've got what are called in the business world transferable skills. Yeah. You know, so I might not be a negotiator in a car sales room, but I've negotiated in other things. So, you know, I could take this skill and apply that skill in somewhere else. So we've got skills that we've developed. Mums have got so many skills just by the way they've had to learn to manage so many different pressures and tensions in their lives, but they would never write them on their formal CVs, but it's part of their informal CVs. So all of this makes up what we would call that bottom left-hand bit of the triangle, authority. That's who you bring into the room with you. Do you bring all of your story 
into the room. Sure. And and I love that. And there's some brilliant examples there. So just explain the difference, because part of this is about owning what we've done and what we've achieved. And it's not just about, you know, I talked about my my friend and, and his tough start tough start in life. And, and you, you've talked about the first part of your career. But it's not just about the challenges. It's also about the successes as well, isn't it? That's part of where we build up our authority from. But there is a real difference between arrogance and authority. And I think that's really important to understand that. So so maybe just sort of explain that a little bit for us. I, I don't know whether I'm the best person to explain that. I think it's I think arrogance is when we are promoting ourselves because we feel insecure about ourselves. So I I have been told at times you come across as a bit arrogant. And I've had other people say, oh, not at all arrogant. But, you know, let's take the ones who've said sometimes you come across a bit arrogant. And that could be true when I am trying to overstate my life CV to try and make it sound more effective because I don't or I fear that people won't pay attention. Right. So it, so that's what I think is the danger of overselling because if I don't, you know, let, let's say there were 50 people there and I say 100 because 100 sounds more impressive than 50. You know, it's that, well, why did you need to say 100? It's because I feared you wouldn't listen to me if I said 50, but I thought 100, you might listen to me. So there is the, the dishonesty, if you like, of arrogance that comes from an insecurity that we fear people won't notice us, won't listen to us. Sure. So there's this great story that you tell in the book, which sort of helps to demonstrate how we show our authority without being arrogant, which comes from the old phrase about show me your metal. And I never understood where that where that phrase come from. So, so explain a bit about that, because I think that sort of epitomizes the way that you you live out your authority without being arrogant. So I live in Suffolk and in Suffolk, many, many, I was going to say most, because it feels like that most of the time, uh, villages have their own windmill. Uh, most of them have fallen into disrepute or totally collapsed. Some haven't. And uh, I, I go and get my bread every Thursday morning from a windmill. Um, so that's pretty cool. So they've got all these windmills. So what I learned from this was that back in the day, all these windmills were active. So people would bring the corn from their local fields to that windmill to get it ground down into uh, to flour. And um, you've seen probably these massive grinding stones in the windmills. I mean, they'd crush you to death if it fell on you, but they're massive stones. But if you look carefully at the grinding stones on a windmill, they've got very fine grooves cut in the, in the granite. Very fine. So you had these people that dressed, it was called, these huge stones, and they, they chipped away with these tools to cut these very fine grooves. And it was the grooves running over each other with these grains between them that crushed the grains and created the flour. 
that then went into the uh, sacks. And um, so what would happen is if a, uh, the owner of the windmill was saying, my stones need redressing, they're not working as effectively, they would set their sails, the big sails on the windmill, at a certain angle, which was a sign, I need help. So you'd got these people that walked around the villages who would dress the stones. So you'd cross the signs on your windmill and then this chap would turn up and say, I've come, I can see your sails across, you know, I've, I've come to help you recut the stones on your windmill. And uh, the, the interview question that the, the miller would ask of the man who came was, show me your metal. And what he meant was, show me your hands. You see, doing that work of cutting those fine grooves meant that you were working with these very sharp tools and they would keep breaking off and they have to be sharpened. And the, bit, the shards of your tools would get embedded into your hands. So a really experienced wheel dresser, stone dresser, would have shards of metal all the way in their hands. They would be embedded all over, these little shards. So you'd show someone the hands of a very experienced windmill dresser, stone dresser, and you'd go, whoa, they've got experience. They've been there. They've done this. They know what they're talking about. Yeah, I'll use them. Or they'd say, show me the metal. Person would turn over their hands, and they were like my hands. Nothing. You know, they were just a pair of clean hands because there was no metal to show, which would say, oh, this guy's a bit of a chancer. He has no experience, really. So part of this is about recognising then, to, to, to sum up for, for authority, it's about recognising both the successes and the failures and what that's actually taught us. And that's what helps to give us authority. Mm. So, so great. I think I've got authority. Let's come on to talk about the second one then in Professor Hawkins' uh, triangle, which is which is presence, and I and I fear this is an area that I'm going to be pretty weak in. So, so tell us a bit about So presence. presence means, okay, so I've got this authority and I come into a relationship with someone is that I am present with that person. Because if you've got all that authority and it's not being brought to bear, as it were, on the relationship, then it's not going to make an impact. And so presence is when I am with someone, am I with them? I think I mentioned the book. It was one guy, lovely guy, who was my uh, one of my fixers very early on when I started working in Rwanda. He was always on his phone, always on his phone. And then he had two phones. So you'd be with him in the middle of a conversation and his phone would ring and he would answer his phone. And we had this all the time. So I knew he wasn't present with me. His mind was in 20 different places. So, and you can tell when some people come in, you say, how are you doing? Oh, fine. And you could just tell by the way they talk. They're not, they're not present. They're, their mind's somewhere else. They've already gone somewhere else. They've said, how are you? And they've already, walked, <laughs> they've already walked five yards on before you've even given the answer. Well, they're not present. So to be present means I am with you right now. I am being with you. Now, you can only be with someone if you can be with yourself. So you've got to be in your own skin. You've got to be slow enough with yourself 
to know what is it I'm thinking right now? What am I feeling? Where am I at right now? What's going on in my life right now? And that you don't have to say that to anyone, but you need to be present with yourself and then present with another person so that the full weight of who you are is brought into that. So when someone who is present says, so Dave, how's your day been? I guarantee that that question will have a huge impact on you. Sure. Because you will be thinking, whoa, this person is interested in me at a really deep level. They really are interested. And so that's going to have an impact on you. So being present is that I bring all of myself to be present. So it's listening. It's asking that second question that we talked about before. It's about eye contact. It's about taking time. It's about summarizing or recapping or reflect. So this is what I heard you saying, or this is what I'm experiencing right now. All of these different ways that we show someone, I am with you right now. I'm with you. Yeah, and that's so important when you explain that and when you sort of ask, requote that second question. Um, it makes so much sense, isn't it? But this, for some reason, we seem to think it's okay, or maybe this is just me, we seem to think it's okay to kind of just skim at surface level and still be, you know, have be distracted by by other things you know i know there are a number of things that i do that yeah my phone would be one distraction from being fully present my if i'm if i'm actually talking to somebody in a work situation and an email pings in i can get distracted by by that so so i suppose what what how can we ensure that we are fully present how do we develop that kind of skill uh, well, first of all, you've hit it on the head, really. It's something that has to be developed is where's your attention? I think that's the issue is always where's your attention? Where's my attention right now? Um, and you can, if you're asking yourself that question, then the minute you spot where your attention is, you can then bring your attention back to the person that's in front of you. So, and, and some of it will be like with phones is, are our phones on silent? Are they off or are they away from the table? You know, all of those things that would distract us from being present. Uh, we can do something with those. If we choose to be present with someone, then we will deal with the technology in order to be present. Or we will agree explicitly that the phones need to be on for a particular reason or whatever. But it's, it's very explicit when you, when you do that. So, yes, following your attention. So when they're talking, notice what's going on in your head. Because if you're already formulating your next question, then you're not being present. Mm -hmm. If your mind is going off to, what am I going to have for supper tonight? Then you're not present. If they're saying something about their own difficulties and you start thinking about, oh my goodness, that reminds me of my, you know, when I was in, in that situation. And your mind goes off into your own autobiography then you're not being present because you're now you're being present with yourself. Sure. And, and, um, you're not being present with the other person. So that's what I do. Follow your attention. Great. It's certainly something that I know from my perspective. That's an area that I need, I need to work on. And so maybe 
as time moves on, we should we should just look at the third point part of the triangle, which is uh, which is impact. Yes. Yeah, so impact is so I bring all of who I am to be fully present with another towards some kind of uh, outcome, and you know I, it might be the outcome might be an action, it might be a feeling, um, but what you're trying to say is where do I want this to go? What, what do I want the outcome to be? What do I hope will happen as a result here? And I think it's always a good question is what, what, when we're with someone is, so what do I want to happen here? And it might be as simple as, I, um, I want them to, to leave this conversation feeling like they've really been heard. And, and so what's the impact there? You can say to them, look, it, have we covered everything you, you want to talk about? Have I missed something? Did I pick up everything? Is you know, if there was a question I could have asked you that didn't, what would that question be? So that that would be trying to bring some kind of closure to the conversation. I, I think this is where I'm weakest because I have this illusion in my head that if I'm really present with someone and we're going, yeah, yeah, that's right, and there's this real kind of energy and chemistry and we're talking about what we're going to do, I will just assume they will go off and do it. Yeah. So then I get really disappointed when I come back and they like, oh, no, I haven't got around to doing that yet. And I'm like, oh, I thought we'd agreed on that. And the answer is, when I thought about it, is no, we didn't agree on that. I had assumed we had agreed on that because there was such energy in the presence. Um, I, I assumed that presence would be enough. And I think what it's saying is, no, you need to somehow be clear. What's the output? What's the impact? What's the result, the direction that we want out of this relationship, this conversation? Where, where do we want this to go? Um, so I think that's the third bit. So just for the sake of time, I think the, the one bit that I found really helpful from Hawkins Triangle was that bit between uh, authority and presence because he used the word defer. And defer means when we give away to someone else. So you imagine someone, they're an experienced leader, they run a business and they've got 500 employees or um, you know, they've got all of this going on and they're well recognized for what they do. And they go to the school parents evening and meet the headmistress who they experience as incredibly severe and they talk to them like a gibbering idiot. I mean, this well-renowned chief exec suddenly can't even put two sentences together and something happens in certain relationships and certain times where we lose contact with our authority and it's worth just pointing that out because i think we've probably all got areas so you know, for me, because I had bad experiences with my dad and his anger, if I met a male who was older and seemed angry, I could feel myself disappearing under the floorboards. You know, my body would right. be there. It would be like a cartoon. My body would be there, but my essence would feel like I was evaporating. So I was deferring. So it's worth noting where do you find yourself deferring you know it might be around gender it might be around race it could be uh, around people's position of authority or perceived experiences just note where we find ourselves deferring because we will lose that sense of groundedness or gravitas at that point 
And I think when I was looking back at this chapter, one of the things that I was reflecting on was the fact that my, you know, I think feel gravitas is something that you that you naturally do develop over time, that just age and experience helps you with that. So I want to sort of finish with maybe if you could just speak for a moment to those of our younger listeners, it's like, how, how do they develop gravitas when they're just sort of starting out on their, on their careers or their lives? I think I would come back to the question of becoming Mandela. Who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? So that's why in the end, it's a chapter in the book is who do you want to become? Do you want to become someone who actually leaves a mark on the world? Is that who you want to become? So then own your story and your story, you're in it right now. You, your story isn't going to start when you're 45 or 55. You're in it. If you're 16, 17, 18, 21, you're in your story. My most life, I was going to say changing event happened to me when I was 18. And, and, it, and it reshaped everything in terms of my life direction. So... That's part of my story. It's a huge part of my story and what I've done with that or not done with it and how I've had to work with it. So I would say even to, it doesn't matter how young you are, you've got a story. You're already in it and it's already shaping you. You know, so, someone who went to school and they really struggled because everyone was making them learn maths and do English a certain way and everything within them wanted to get up and dance or paint or sing or what and or, or be moving and they were told to sit still or and they found school really really difficult and they struggled and and they found that they were doing really badly in terms of the examinations but they found a way through it and they got through and they found their own kind of way of dealing with life and found their own voice and found their own creativity and they're 17 years old mm -hmm. well that's a story you've already developing it so own the story that you've already got and ask yourself, what's the story that you want to be writing? And pay attention along the way. Think about it. I think it links with when we talked about depth. Process what you're learning. Process life. Think about it. Do work on yourself and, and integrate these experiences into your developing character and personality. And it will accumulate weight. Sure. Great. So let's come on then to talk about the, the, the challenges that you would, you would put to us with this whole topic of grounding or, or gravitas. Yes, yeah, so I'll go through the questions that are in the book, but it's, um, I'm not sure how we'll do in terms of discussing them, but let's try and find a way. Because I think we need to sit down with a pen and paper and probably do work on them. But let's, let's, so the first one says, take one key life experience that you've had and think about all the skills and attributes that you used to navigate it. Just so choose one experience and then think, what, what, are the, what did I bring to that experience to actually get me through it? The one that jumped out for me when, when I looked at this was, was parenting. I think it's such a good example because up until the point when you have children, I think it's, uh, well, there's a great phrase, isn't there? I always remember 
Uh, somebody saying, I, I had no children and four theories on parenting, and I've now got four children and no theories on parenting. <laughs> so, you know, parenting is something that is so difficult to acquire any skills for until you actually get into into doing it. So we all start out with, with no real other than how perhaps we experience parenting as a recipient when we were growing up. But we're handed this tiny little... Uh, bundle of joy and you know shipped out of the hospital very early enough to just get on with it and I always remember feeling incredibly scared and I know a lot of people would feel mm, the same absolutely. sort of thing as like thinking well what on earth do we do you know what's mm. going to happen who do I you know there's no manual I think for me um, so how did I develop my parenting skill um, well partly it was through trial and error with some of the things early on it was partly through the fact that I was fortunate enough to be in a a dual role so so my wife was there so we could discuss and debate what we were going to do and then partly it was about involving others who would who had been there before who had been on that who had been on that journey before so i suppose part of it was was being able to go to either friends who've got slightly older children therefore were further down the parenting road than us and i have to say both my in-laws my mother-in-law and my father-in-law were we're brilliant at this because they didn't get too involved. I think that was a that's always a danger for grandparents to get too involved, and they never did. But when but they were always there when 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 asked, and they were incredibly wise, and they came up with some some wonderful, helpful ways that that helped us point in the right direction with our parenting. So yeah, so so for me, mm. in terms of answering that that question, it was like parenting because it's just something that we feel so unprepared for. Yeah. And so therefore it's a skill you've got to think about, well, how am I going to develop? How am I going to build up my my understanding in that? Mm. That's great. So the dinner party question is kind of the next one is who do you know personally that you would say, oh, they have gravitas? And what is it that they say or they do or how they behave that makes you say that person is gravitas? Yeah, I and I think, as you alluded at the start of this podcast, that's quite a difficult thing to define but you just know it when you when you see it don't you that's that's um <laughs> best way of describing it, but I can think of quite a few. You know, friends that I've got um, who, who I would say, they, they have real integrity, that they are are considered in their in their response. So I think you know, sometimes you you talk to people about a particular situation, and somebody can jump in and say, yeah, no, I've been there, I've done that, I've, I've got two of them, um, and. And that's not about having gravitas. That's almost like it's become a competition. Yeah, no, no, well, you know, you've done that. Well, I've done this. And actually, you know, that's like what you've done with, with bells mm. on. And I think the people that have gravitas are the ones, and it was it was interesting when you were talking about that triangle because I could really relate to that because I think the first thing that people with gravitas do is they is they is they have that presence. So they listen to what you say, they ask the second question as well as the first question to make sure they've understood. They they evaluate what it is that you've said and then they use their authority in order to try and help and make an impact into your situation and not tell you well these are the reasons why actually I can help you because of this this and this and this it's mm -hmm. actually taking that taking that authority and those life experiences they've got and maybe through 
asking questions, maybe through prompting, try and help to lead you to to, to a solution to the to the problem you've presented them with. But they're doing it in a way that you feel they're helping and guiding you, rather than they're mm. kind of shouting from the rooftops about what they've what they've done or what they or what they've got. Yeah. So the last question is taking those the triangle the um, authority presence and impact. So if you think about those three dimensions, if you were to rate yourself on a scale of zero to ten in terms of strength of each of those, and I realise it's an entirely subjective question, but see where we go with it. So ten is like I think I'm really strong on this, and zero is I'm kind of on the floor. If you were to rate yourself on those three, what scores would you give yourself? And then I'll ask you another question. Okay. So I think authority, I would score quite highly. I think probably, yeah, I, th- I think I think there is, as I mentioned before, I have, for whatever reason, I seem to always end up in leadership mm. positions. And so to a certain extent with that would suggest that you carry some authority, the fact that people help help happy for you to go into those positions so i think authority has scored quite highly presence i'd be shocking it's, it's below five okay. um you know i i fall into that category of someone that's got so much going on and i'm thinking about the next thing and i i get distracted and it's something that i've tried to work on but it still needs work so um I could come up with a whole reason of excuses as to why why that's the case, but that's all they would be, is excuses. And, uh, yeah, it's something I'm working on more, but it's still a long, long way to go. An impact, I would say, would be somewhere between those two. Okay. So so I think, you know, uh, not quite as high as uh, as authority, but certainly a lot better than... Um, than presence. Go on, you're going to hit me with this. Well, I have a second question. <laughs> so let's take the presence one, your lower score, and... Give me two things that you could do this week that would bump that score up above five. When I'm talking to somebody to not be doing it whilst I've got my phone in my hand or my laptop in front of me. Okay. Great. Good. There you go. I feel like I've had a coaching session, folks. But there we are. So that was uh, that was that was great fun again. And I and I think yeah, gravitas and grounding is something that, having read this chapter and having talked with Trevor, is something that I that I understand more, and certainly something that I could think about how I could apply that to to my everyday situations that I find myself in. And I hope the same is true of you. So thanks for being part of this um, Becoming Mandela and we will really look forward to catching up with you again next time. Bye for now.